Hello and welcome to Sensei Podcast. This is Manos Brilakis discussing with leaders in the field of CTO and Complex PCI. Sensei means teacher or master in Japanese. The goal of the Sensei Podcast is to help you learn and improve in CTO and Complex PCI so that you can become the best that you can be and offer your patients the best possible results. Hello and welcome to this next episode of the Sensei Podcast. It is my great pleasure to introduce uh, uh, Dr. Imre Ugi from the University of Szeged in Szeged, Hungary, uh, one of the best teachers of CTOPCI in Europe and around the world. Imre, good morning and uh, good afternoon, and it's a pleasure talking to you today. Uh, good morning, Manos, and uh, thanks you again for this kind of invitation, which is really honorable for me. The honor is all ours. And again, you've done a phenomenal work in teaching several people from Europe. I know many people from Greece have learned coming to your cath lab and many other countries in the world. But can you tell us a little bit, how did this all start for you? How did you get interested in CTO and complex PCI? How did you transform your cath lab to become one of the centers in Europe doing that? How, how did it all start for you? Oh, it's a, a little long story. You know, the uh, status of interventional cardiology in Hungary uh, had been uh, rather different from that of the, in the United States or, or in Japan or in, the, in West Europe. So in, in the last century, in the end of the last century, <clears throat> we, we were a diagnostic lab simply. We were completely subordinated to to the surgeons, and uh, we did mostly uh, diagnostic studies. Uh, in the beginning of this millennium, when, when, was when the, the number of uh, procedures, the number of cat labs at all, and of course the primary PCI started in our country. That time, <clears throat> I, I, I worked quite a lot at uh, outpatient uh, uh, departments as well f to, for follow-up of post-PCI patients. At the beginning, I was very enthusiastic because I could see the, the improvement of the symptoms, but, but later I realized that uh, several of our post-PCI patients still have symptoms. I started to, to look for the, the, the cause, the background of it, <clears throat> and actually I realized that uh, many of them um, had incomplete revascularization, and a significant part of these uh, this part these these patients had uh, still CTO. At that time, CTO was considered not an indication, but as indication, uh, because uh, we, uh, there was a belief that the collaterals, the nature already solved this problem, so it cannot be ischemic. But I, I could see that uh, a lot of a lot of complaints, a lot of symptoms. So uh, I, I, I realized that we have to do something with these patients. And in 2006, I attended a, a, a CTO session, a live case CTO session at EuroPCI in PCR in Paris. And in in this session, I, I saw the first uh, CTO live cases in my life done by, by Osamu Kato, 
and the other case was by Hidao Tamai. Unfortunately, he passed away uh, a few years later. So I was so much impressed that I realized that for a high volume cat lab, this uh, CTO program could be feasible and uh, must be started. So that was the motivation for me. Wonderful. So one of the first, you know, the early days of CTO-PCI trying to help the patients, which remains obviously at the forefront of what we do. But then how did you go from being inspired? So the Osamu Katos and uh, uh, Hidai Tamai's uh, um, life cases helped you get the motivation. But then how did you go from getting motivated to actually learning and, you know, having a good expertise that we developed in doing these procedures? Actually, uh, uh, the, in the next year, in 2007, uh, it came uh, just in time that uh, we were responsible to organize the annual interventional cardiology meeting in, in my country. This is a, a wandering assembly, so Seged was the next uh, for the next year. And uh, due to this uh, inspiration, I decided to... Uh, to make the CTO as one of the main topics of this uh, Congress. At that uh, time, we had already a uh, connection to uh, George Cianos and Shigeru Saito, actually. So I invited them to give lectures and uh, to do live cases at, uh, on, on this Congress. And finally, it was a great success. Uh, both uh, Shigeru and also George did a to nice uh, anti-grade and uh, retrograde cases. So it, it really um, made in the highlight uh, the CTO. And <clears throat> at, at that time, we were lucky because uh, after this meeting, George Georgianos uh, offered us to regularly visit our cat lab. The, he had some, a little bit uh, more time uh, to regularly visit our cat lab and to teach us for this procedure. So in 2008 to 2010, about three times a year for one or two days, he visited our lab and we did together cases. He was the first operator, I was the second, but all of the team uh, prof um, benefited, uh, let's, let's say, benefited a lot from these uh, cases because we learned not only the manual uh, maneuvers of this, these procedures, but also the what is important for a CTO, uh, what is the necessary inventory, how to prepare the patient, and so on. So it, it uh, lasted to 2010, but after that, George was too busy to, to continue this program. So we actually, at that time, we started in the working independently, but uh, with a, actually with a limited success and with some, some complications. So in 2013, I decided to, to change our ideas in, 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 in the other uh, city operators in, in this region. So I started to organize a biannual uh, life case CTO meeting called Sector from the name of my city, Saget CTO Revascularization. The, the name was Sector. And uh, the, the, this uh, was a forum 
to to confer our, our experience and deficiencies with uh, Romanian, with Serbian, Bulgarian, Greek, um, Austrian, Polish uh, city operators, and we invited really first line uh, experts uh, for lectures and for life cases, like. Uh, like uh, Freddy Galas, it, it's, it's a time order, it's not a rank list, but first was uh, George, Freddy Galassi, uh, Gerard Werner, Masahisa Yamana, you, Dimitri Karmpaliotis, Julian Strange, and so on. So it was an extremely, extreme jump up in, in our learning phase, because we, we could um, learn directly from the most experienced people. We are really grateful to you and the others since then. So that was the story of the start. Actually, I'm grateful, and I must admit that, you know, having been to your courses, that I was very impressed with the high level. Not only, I mean, the cases were very challenging, of course, but also I think there was great interaction. It was, you know, very practical. And uh, there was a lot of learning going on, both on the operator side, but also on the audience side. And I think the size, not being like a thousand, uh, pay, you know, a thousand uh, participant meeting helped as well. It's much easier to interact when you have a, yeah. a more compact group that you can actually ask questions and interact live as things go on. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with you in this this matter. So, so Imre, again, you you clearly created something from, you know, we had the vision and early on went into this area and developed a high level of local expertise. And I know many people have been visiting you and have visited you in the past. Um, but now that you've done so many cases and you're obviously very senior and capable, how do you prepare? Do you uh, still, how much time do you spend? Is preparation now easier? How, how does the flow of the cases goes now after all these years of practice and experience that you have in CTOPCI? Oh, thank you. It's uh, it's uh, quite a special uh, process for me compared to the normal activity in interventional cardiology, which is quite regular and not so much differences between between operators and between uh, sites. I, I always start uh, to check the angiogram, not the patient, but the angiogram first. Uh, together with the referring physician, or um, if if the patient come from from the field, uh, maybe with some phone consultation with the referring physician. So first, I, I try to assess the angiographic feasibility for me, and of course the the risk uh, level which can be assessed by the angio. If I deem uh, this patient uh, as feasible for my practice. <clears throat> I try to collect some clinical data, of course, because also these are important. Uh, is there any heart failure, renal insufficiency, uh, the access site uh, uh, availability, uh, and so on. And then I try to, to get in connect uh, with the patient, uh, usually by phone. Uh, just to have a, a, a personal impression uh, on, on, on the personality of, of, of him or her, because I think it's important how can we communicate. 
so if if it's necessary, I, I invite them, I, I admit them to the outpatient department as well for a personal visit, where I, of course, a physical examination, but but, uh, but a detailed talk about the, the complaints, the symptoms, the history. Uh, I give uh, detailed information on the on the uh, potential outcome, the risk, the complications, and so on. And I, I try to assess the compliance of the patient. If the patient is too old or has some difficulties in understanding for some reason, I, I, I try to get in contact with the with the family. Usually, the the younger members of the family, the sons, the daughters of, of, of them, and try to make understood what can they expect from this this procedure and what are the real risk. Uh, because uh, I think it's it's, uh, it's extremely important before that. So after this personal communication, on the day before the procedure, I re-watch uh, the, the diagnostic angiogram at normal speed a few times, then slowly, slower at slower speed, and then mainly for, for the assessment of the collaterals, sometimes frame by frame. It seems to be a very time-consuming, and uh, by many people, it's a, it's a waste of time. It's unnecessary, but uh, I think uh, it is. It, it's really necessary, because uh, although I afford quite a long time for this um, NGO assessment, but I, my 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 principle is that all the minute what I afford for this uh, preliminary angio analysis is saving uh, several minutes of the procedure. Because if, if, you are, if you are a little bit surprised during the procedure, because you discover the, uh, a new information, and you are already in, in the middle of the, uh, of the PCI, it's it's not good because uh, because we we know that several resources the radiation the contrast uh, the patients uh, and and of course the time is limited during the procedure so I try to very um, have a very detailed analysis before the procedure and just before the procedure I I, I usually have a small meeting with the other members of the staff, with the nurses, with the second operator, if is a second operator, and after that we start. So it takes you quite some time. How long do you think it takes you to actually look at the angiogram and collect all this information? Uh, I think uh, it, 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 it varies patient by patient, uh, because if there is a complicated uh, um, angiogram with a lot of uh, overlap of the vessels, uh, complicated collateral uh, networks between uh, several collaterals, epicardial and septals, several septals. 
It takes really a long time, but there are some more straightforward cases where it's, where it's longer. But uh, for me, it, uh, the minimum is 15, 20 minutes to analyze uh, the, the diagnostic angiogram. If the diagnostic angiogram has uh, the quality uh, of, uh, of, of uh, to, to assess the, the feasibility of the, the PCI, unfortunately, sometimes we have uh, poor quality angiograms. So in this case, it's a big uh, drawback because we have to start the procedure with a diagnostic study to make a plan again, replan it, and uh, uh, continue our work. Thank you. And again, there's, I guess, enough to be, there's never enough to be said about the importance from what you mentioned, the careful planning, taking the time to actually understand the angiogram, even though it's cumbersome and takes time before. I think, as you said, it probably saves a lot of time during the case and prevents a lot of surprises. Yeah. How do you feel about the case? Do you get nervous about complex cases after all the cases you've done? How do you feel at this stage now that you're very experienced in, in CTOPCI? Actually, I am anxious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it, it, uh, it changed, uh, of course, with, with the time elapsed uh, because I, I do uh, this uh, CTO activity for more than 10 years. But uh, but still, there is some 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 stress. Uh, uh, in the beginning, I had maybe much more stress than the average than than it uh, should be. Uh, it went down, of course, uh, and now I have uh, some some nervousness uh, only before uh, before a really complicated or high risk. Uh, procedure. Uh, there is another aspect of this, uh, this uh, subjective question. If I have a patient who is, uh, who is really, who, whose character is really appealing and, and he, he, he really want to be, to be healed, he works hard uh, with his uh, or her lifestyle uh, for, for uh, for for the healing, I'm a little bit more stressed because I I like too much to help them and I I, I would like to uh, to avoid anyway the complication. I I know that every patients are the same. We we must consider this, but but you know that the subjective relationship assessment cannot be. Uh, completely excluded from this uh, from this uh, uh, connection with the patients, but uh, or, um, I think that at, at at some level the the stress is necessary for for your work. Mm, but uh, for my luck, I could reduce it to a normal level. Absolutely, and I think you're right as well that. You know, if you're completely relaxed, then you may not be quite as up and active and careful and meticulous and moving fast as, and, and carefully when you do the case. So, as you say, a little bit of stress is always uh, useful. Um, how, um, uh, what cases, do you have some cases that stuck with you that you've done and that, that left a memory for you? Uh, are there some memorable cases or the cases kind of blend into the spectrum of, uh, of cases? Actually, I have 
have memorable cases. I, I think that all of the city operators like you and, and some, some, some other people have several memorable cases. Of course, memorable can be because it was a, a nice success uh, or it was a, a, a horrific uh, complication. Yes, I, 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 I would mention uh, as, as a, as, let's say, a best case, uh, I would mention a, a patient with, with, with several negative uh, uh, factors uh, uh, for, the, for the expectable success. Uh, it was a post-bypass uh, patient uh, of right coronary occlusion, post-bypass with occluded graft, but we didn't know where were the, the grafts exactly. Uh, then uh, extremely calcified occluded vessels. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so, and, and there was a failed attempt before that. So we, we started an untergrade uh, attempt, but due to the calcification, we stuck. I continued with uh, knuckle wire, but uh, the knuckle wire took a very strange course. So I was, was worried about uh, perforation. So I turned to retrograde. It was not so problematic to cross the septal. Uh, but uh, uh, at the distal cap, which was just in the crux, it was a completely flush occlusion uh, uh, at the distal cap. We were a little bit surprised because the wire went to the PL branch or somewhere where there was no, no vessel, seemingly. Uh, I didn't understand, but later I, <clears throat> I understood that this must be the occluded graft, which was just uh, attached to the crux. Uh, and it was completely impossible to, uh, to, to, to uh, puncture the distal cap. So the only solution was we were just new with the Sasuke uh, dual lumen catheter, but we could cross this collateral with the Sasuke, and uh, with the support of the Sasuke, uh, the first wire was in the PL branch, we could orientate the confianza, the puncturing wire, to the cap of the collateral, of the, uh, of the occlusion. Then again, there was a strange course for the retrograde wire, but we changed to retrograde and untergrade knuckle wiring, we got in kissing position, and finally with a with a, a guideliner we could do externalization. But in the meantime, we lost the posterior lateral branch because of a dissection at the distal cap. So we mm, re-put the Sasuke in untergrade position and regained the posterior lateral, and then finally with the bifurcation stenting and with some other stents, it was a nice result. I like this case because actually we, we won uh, some prize of, uh, uh, also with this case at the EuroPCR, well, not at EuroPCR, but at the EuroCTO club meeting. Uh, and I think that it, it uh, demonstrated really well the power of the hybrid approach because we, we, we had several partial failures and finally, a good success due to switching the, in between the 
the different approaches. It, it was a, I have unfortunately a very depressing case as well. If you, if you think I would shortly summarize it as well. Sure, yeah, up to you. I'm completely, you know, completely up to you. I know these are emotionally rich cases, I guess. <laughs> yes, because uh, the first case was a big, big uh, joy and satisfaction for us. But this lady uh, who was done uh, several years ago uh, had again a right coronary, a classified right coronary occlusion. And a few months ago, a few months before, <clears throat> she had uh, a stenting of the LED the proximal LED in another hospital. We had no documentation about this procedure, but we could see that there is a stent in the proximal LED. So the anti-grade attempt was a failure again, so we switched to retrograde through septals, uh, through these, uh, these stents, this long stented segment. And when we were, we were <clears throat> about at completing the reverse cart, uh, suddenly a cardiovascular collapsed, uh, collapse occurred. Uh, we could see some th uh, pieces of thrombus in the LED, but uh, still there was flow in the LED. So first I didn't understand what happened. We removed everything fast, uh, the, the retrograde stuff removed, then did uh, thrombus aspiration uh, but uh, there was a cardiogenic shock, so we inserted a balloon pump. We had no ECMO or some, some other device at that time. And in the meantime, we had to start uh, uh, CPR as well, which was uh, successful. But we, we took the patient to the ICU in a deep cardiogenic shock. And in two days, we lost her completely lost her. It was not possible to regain. It was a progressive uh, shock state. I was extremely depressed. Uh, uh, and I didn't understand actually what happened because the ACT was uh, along the, the procedure was, was uh, more than 300. And uh, later I got the um, <clears throat> report uh, about the previous uh, stenting procedure, uh, which, which uh, uh, had the information that the proximal LED stent was 2.5 millimeter, uh, deployed at uh, rather low pressure. So my feeling was, and uh, I, I discussed this case with Gerald Werner as well, and also Ger the opinion of Gerald was that with this uh, uh, with these uh, small diameter stands, the microcatheter obstructed uh, the, the LED, the stented segment of the LED. And it was a <clears throat> long standing low flow in the LED with some thrombus, although not occlusive thrombus. So this, uh, and uh, the patient, of course, depended on this uh, viable LED area. So that was the, the cause. Uh, retrospectively, we could explain the source of this, but uh, but uh, anyway, we lost the patient, and uh, maybe uh, I, I would have done uh, an IVUS because I, I could see that it's not a, a 
high diameter, but I, I, I thought it a little bit bigger, so I didn't anticipate this uh, terrible complication. So it was a very depressing uh, case, and uh, it will depress me for forever, I think. But what actually impresses me is that you were very meticulous and you took the case again, looked at it again and again, talked to many people to find, to explain what it is, which I'm sure you apply to your next cases. So complications happen to everyone. We all have had cases of donor vessel injury or thrombosis, and obviously this can be devastated. I actually personally had a case uh, going to ECMO for this, um, for this very similar situation as the one you described. So it is humbling. At the same time, though, uh, using those cases to, to learn and improve the practice and the techniques, I think that's the, that's the best way to use those cases and, uh, and, and uh, not just forget about them, but analyze them and understand what exactly has happened. Now, uh, how about radiation? Do you get worried about radiation? You've done cases for a long time, very complex cases. Uh, do you do anything special for radiation protection? Uh, Really important question, I think, for all of us who work in radiation environment. Actually, I'm, I'm not worried too much. That is the short, short answer. Uh, of course, I use all the available mm, measures and the equipments for radiation protection. Uh, our new generation machines are much better with uh, reducing the radiation. I use uh, as much uh, fluorostore as possible, so much less uh, NGO than, than previously. Of course, we have, uh, I have a very good lead apron now, also because of my, my spine. <clears throat> but uh, my philosophy about the radiation is uh, that uh, when I started working as uh, invasive cardiologist, I had the chance to decide, I, I, I was aware, of course, the, the potential uh, harm of the radiation. At that time, I had the chance to decide to stop and step back and to, to find another field or to continue. If I continued, I have to take the risk. So I, it's not an everyday, how to say, everyday uh, worry uh, for me. Uh, but uh, I must admit that I have, a, uh, I have a big mistake. I do a big mistake regularly. I can't, I'm not able to wear the lead glasses. I tried it several times, but uh, <clears throat> it makes, for, for short procedures, it's no problem. But for a CT or a complex uh, coronary, I feel so much uh, pain in my nose and on my ear uh, due to the weight of this, that it completely takes my attention to the procedure and to the from the patient. So I, I rather remove it. So I don't use it. Uh, I have a penalty for this because I had already a, a cataract operation. But uh, anyway, I work. Perfect. Um, and in terms of the training, so you have trained many people. Actually, we're very privileged to work with several of your of your trainees. You know, Judith Caraction, uh, Peter Tidy. Uh, but you've trained many, many people, and you've seen many people come to the lab and learn and become better. Um, how do you choose who you train for these procedures? Do you 
can you tell that they're going to be good? Some more people are more talented, some are smarter, maybe more technically gifted. How do you decide who to train and then you get a sense of how good they're going to be down the line? Oh, again, it's an interesting question. I have a special, um, how to say, approach uh, for that. Uh, the story, the, the, the origin of this story is that when I wanted to, to start uh, catheterization, it was not so easy. I, uh, it was very difficult to me to, 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 to get into the cat lab and to remain there. And at that time, I decided that if I, I will be responsible for any field, I will keep open the, the doors continuously because every people has the right to try whether he or she is uh, he's okay for this or, or should they choose another field. So uh, everybody who wants to, to come and uh, to try uh, I, I accept, uh, accepted them, and I think that uh, sooner or later, uh, <clears throat> a natural selection helps us and helps the trainee and helps me to to decide who to um, where to continue and who not. Uh, I think that uh, some. Some features are, are really important for, for our, for, for especially for the complex cases, because it's a bumpy road. Uh, the perseverance and the, and the complete commitment to the, uh, uh, to the job, what we, uh, what we do. Uh, just to mention um, one of uh, our common fellows, uh, she was uh, at, at the first class uh, at the university, at the underground uh, uh, education, when came to me uh, and told me that uh, she participated at a practical abroad uh, at, in a cardiac cat lab, and he liked it so much that he, she, she wanted to be an interventional cardiologist. I told her that in the fourth year is too early are too young for this decision. But she told me that I, I, I want to be. So, uh, I, I, of course, I accepted, and uh, later she, she got our uh, youngest resident, and I could see that she is still uh, the same perseverance, has, has the same per perseverance, commitment, diligence, and later I, I could experience that also in the clinical research at a high standard team, in your team, she was also successful. So I like this approach, the, the perseverance, commitment, and the uh, faith to the, to the job, what we, what we selected. I think it's, it's really important. Of course, the manual uh, abilities is also important and uh, without them it's not possible to do this kind of procedure but but I don't think that this is the f the first uh, it, it, it has the first importance great so perseverance and willingness and persistence 
there's a great not only for becoming I guess interventionalist or complex interventionalist, but in life in general, I guess for yeah. everything that we do, pretty much. I agree. I agree completely. So at this stage, again, you are very accomplished. You've done so many things. Um, created one of the premier departments in Europe in doing these complex procedures, run the meetings, trained many um, fellows. What is what is the next step for you? What, what excites you most at this time? What is the next uh, exciting thing for you? Oh, actually, the next step. So in my age, I'm 66. So in my age, it's it's uh, young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in my soul, I'm young. Uh, but uh, my my birth date uh, show me a different uh, information. So. Uh, I have no, not so much uh, new plans, but uh, I would like to continue the, this, this field, this activity with the CTO and the uh, complex uh, uh, coronary procedures as far as I, uh, I can. Uh, of officially, by the authority, uh, we can work uh, until our age of uh, 70, so I still have uh, for this uh, four year. And uh, after that, um, uh, I hope that I can still work with, with uh, some education. We have a lot of uh, CTO patients, maybe around 1,000 with uh, uh, not so complete database, so I, I would like uh, uh, to work with with with, with this uh, uh, to develop this database as well, retrospectively. And uh, of course, I will have to work uh, uh, for my health as well because uh, this uh, this cat lab work needs uh, physical and mental fitness fitness. And uh, I, I, I would uh, like to work for them as well. So how do you keep fit? Do you exercise? Uh, do you read books? What keeps you in good shape, both physically and mentally, as you said, for, for these procedures? Uh, I try to work and I afford some time for my physical fitness because uh, I think that uh, without physical fitness, there is no possible uh, to be fit mentally, neither. Uh, unfortunately, when I was young, I worked so much that I, I completely neglected doing sport. It, it was a big mistake. But now, uh, because I have some cervical spine problems, I regularly have to do uh, spine exercises uh, with, the, with the help of a physiotherapist. And I, two or three times a week, I go to swim mostly backstroke because of my my spine which is makes good and it's a good cardiovascular training as well and uh, i'm really i'm i'm keen keen on on riding bicycle uh, really much uh, uh, I, I i try to do regular cardiovascular training on on bicycle i have just returned from from Italy from a, a cycle tour from Tuscany, which was beautiful, and we did around eighty kilometers per day. So it was it was a really great relaxation for me. 
So swimming and bicycle are for, for the physical training. Mentally, uh, I, <coughs> I read books, of, of, of course. I, I watch movies, but I, I have limited time for them. And uh, if I want to relax, uh, to have relaxation, uh, sometimes I, I, listening, I listen to poems by, by um, famous actors. So I lay down, I shut my eyes, and I listen to poems. I, it, it, it makes me good for relaxation. Wonderful. And do you have any favorite um, you know, poets or movies or books that you enjoy? Yes, yes, I have some, some of them. Maybe the, my, my, my favorite uh, movie is, uh, is a little bit old one, The Scent of a Woman. Probably you know uh, this uh, movie with Al Pacino. It's, it's my favorite also because Al Pacino is one of my favorite uh, actors. And uh, in this movie, he plays, I think, brilliantly the low-life uh, old uh, colonel. And uh, also the, the other character, Charlie, is, is fantastic. Uh, at the first uh, sight, we, we, uh, it, it doesn't seem a, a very important movie, but uh, it, I think it's perfectly uh, introduces how different uh, personalities are behind uh, seemingly jerk, um, unlucky, uh, insignificant people, because both of them uh, turned out by the end that are really great characters. So I like, I like this, uh, this movie really much. As the book, maybe I would mention a, a, a book from my youth. Uh, it's, a, it's a Hungarian book uh, written by Aaron, Aaron Tomasi from Transylvania. Uh, in Transylvania, there is a sub, Hungarian subnation called Sekes. And the, the hero of this book, uh, Abel, Abel uh, is the son of this uh, Seke uh, nation. Uh, this, uh, this nation suffered a lot uh, between the, the bigger nations, Romanian, Hungarian, Austrian, Ottoman, Ottomans, and they learned really much how to be smart, ingenious, and how to survive uh, in the difficulties. So the, the, the story of this uh, disabled which is uh, actually it's a trilogy, Able in the Forest, Able in the Country, and Able in America. Uh, it uh, shows us uh, how smartly he, he got through the difficulties of the life in different situations. I, 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 I like this, and uh, the, the language, the style is a beautiful classical Hungarian language, so I like this book really much. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. This is uh, phenomenal, and uh, you know, it's it's really, uh, as you say, everyone has different uh, um, things that resonate with everyone. But it's fascinating to see how um, things can be inspiring in different parts of life and translate into your day-to-day -day professional work. 
what are the things that you are most proud of, both uh, personally and as well as in uh, professionally? Oh, uh, maybe in medicine, I would be happy to, to say that <laughs> to start CTO and to, to establish a CTO program, but uh, really is the, on the second place. Uh, for me, the, I'm, I'm most proud of uh, starting the transradial approach. Uh, it was a uh, long story. I did the first in 1997 uh, after a PCA Euro PCR, and uh, it was a very, um, how to say, plain uh, reason why I started. Uh, <clears throat> at, at that time, we were subtenants, uh, uh, subordinated to cardiac surgery. We had no uh, ward at all, so. Uh, that was completely uncountable whether we can do a catheterization or not from the femoral because we couldn't see that we get uh, bad for this patient or not. So when I, when I participated at a lunch meeting uh, led by Ferdinand Kim and I, I found it out that it was invented for us. So we started at that time the outpatient program uh, for diagnostic only, not for PCI. Uh, and uh, for some years, I think we were considered to be a little bit full uh, by, by, by other uh, centers because uh, it was the, such a strong position of the uh, femoral approach. But uh, after about five years, uh, the transradial spread out from our cat lab to the country and by the middle of the first decade of this millennium uh, Hungary was in the was a, one of the leading uh, country in Europe uh, in the transradial penetration so I, I, I I'm a little bit proud of it because it start, we, we started uh, this uh, as a non-medical activity maybe I'm most proud of having a pilot license. Uh, it, it was a, a dream for me in my childhood that I would be a professional, uh, wanted to be a professional pilot. For different reasons, uh, it, uh, it changed and now I'm a doctor. And for, for several decades, I had to forget. Uh, I, I had some dreams about uh, flying, but, uh, but I, I, I had no time mm, at all. And when I was already 50, uh, I, a, a friend of me who was a pilot took me for a sightseeing flight. And he told me that maybe it was a compliment that you are so talented. Why don't you, why don't you learn? <laughs> why don't you get a pilot license? And I realized that I wanted to do this, exactly this. So I, in, in a little bit less than one year, I got the pilot license and my, my, my hobby and, and one of the way for mental relaxation is to, to fly with an ultralight uh, uh, plane. Wonderful. Well, again, many things accomplished and I can speak, you know, for myself and other people that, you know, everyone really respects. I think you, it's, some, you know, many people are teaching people, but few people inspire respect the way that you do. And I think that stems from the integrity and, the, you know, sticking to principles and having this very thorough approach. 
Um, so before we finish, any any advice? So for the people who are uh, who want to learn at different stages, either early in their career or mid-career or any part of their career you want to, to learn, what advice would you give them so that they can make the most and, and become the best they can be? Oh, it's uh, a little bit difficult to express, uh, but I think, again, that uh, uh, f- first, uh, when we want to to choose a way of our life, uh, of course, uh, the job or uh, uh, or, or, or some, some determining activity. First, we have to assess and uh, we, we must uh, thoroughly uh, assess whether is it really for us or not. It's important, I think, because if you if you go to the wrong uh, way and uh, stay there, you will be unhappy for, for your life. But if you, if you already decided and, and if you liked it, uh, the perseverance and the commitment and the faithful to this way is the most important, I think. Uh, we know that uh, there are <clears throat> uh, a lot of failures on our in our career and uh, on our way, and uh, there are factors uh, obstructing us. But if we are, if we really want to do this, and then if we really find uh, our satisfaction and joy in it, it's worth to continue. I think it's it's it. it uh, we must uh, keep in mind forever these rules. Wonderful. Well, again, thanks again, Imre, and it's been again a pleasure talking to you today. Thanks again for everything you've done for the field of CTO and complex PCI in Hungary and across uh, across the world. So thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you at one of the upcoming meetings. Uh, thank you, Manus, and I also look forward to, to have you here again in Hungary as our guest. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sensei Podcast.